You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Bracket season is here, so bet with my bookie. Sign up today at mybookie.ag and use promo code GATERS to secure a deposit bonus up to $1,000 only at mybookie. Gators Breakdown. Because there's never a dull moment in Gator Nation. The Gators Breakdown Podcast is ready to go. I'm your host, David Waters, and you can find me on Twitter at GatorDave underscore SCC. Back this week is Will Miles as we wrap up spring football. You can find Will at readandreaction.com and on Twitter at Will Miles SCC. End of spring ball, Will. Gators go down in March Madness. That's kind of the hot topic around Gator Nation a little bit too. But, you know, football here uh, on the podcast. But we can quickly, you know, discuss the March Madness. I mean, our, our friends at MyBookie, of course, uh, sponsoring uh, tournament bracket season uh, there. Uh, but, man, that was a, that was a tough one. Uh, I shared in the uh, on Twitter the DM messages you and I had going back and forth. And, and you called it. Uh, a lot of Gator Nation out there called it. But uh, the Mike White special, giving up a lead. Um, slowing the game down, it, it all come down to that. If it could go wrong, it did go wrong for about the last eight, nine minutes of the game for the Gators. Yeah, well, neither you nor I really feel like we know basketball well enough to really speak that intelligently about it. But, you know, you blow an 11-point lead with like nine and a half minutes left, and uh, pretty much everybody's going to have an opinion. So even I had one. And, uh, you know, that's the reality is just nobody who's even a casual fan feels comfortable with a small lead late in the second half with, with Mike White in charge. I wish I didn't feel that way, but, you know, that's the way I feel. It's, it's, it's similar to the way you felt with Will Muschamp heading up the Florida team as well. Like, you liked Will Muschamp. You thought he had a high character. You liked the guys he brought in the program. He recruited really well and then somehow managed to be conservative and lose the games at the end that that really you should have won and you know then obviously the Florida program decided to make a change I'm not sure the change that they made was all that great which is the other thing Mm -hmm. I think we need to learn from the uh from from that escapade is that you better have the right guy out there I mean I saw today so I'm a big Indiana basketball fan because my dad went there and I grew up in Indianapolis and sort of Basketball is a little bit different in the Hoosier State, and and you know they they tried to hire Thad Mata today, yeah, and 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 he failed his physical. I've never heard of a coach failing his physical and not being able to coach. So you know who knows what was wrong with him, but uh, you know I guess my point is is that you got to have somebody out there waiting in the wings who's better if you're going to make a change. Florida had decided to make a change off of Will Muschamp winds up with Jim McElwain. 
Um, things didn't get that much better. Um, and, and then now we're on Mullen and things have gotten better. So I think the lesson there is, you know, if you find the right guy, then it's worth making the change. If you don't have the right guy waiting in the wings, and if you're not willing to spend the money to get the right guy, then, uh, then, you know, you're better off just sort of running it back and seeing what you can do. And this is also a real challenging year for the team, right? You had Keontae Johnson go out. Um, real early in the season, obviously a very scary moment. We're all glad he's okay, but you know, for a couple of weeks there, it was unclear how how serious it really was. And and then you know, you've got COVID and having to get tested all the time and all that sort of stuff. And obviously, every team had to deal with that. But uh, um, you know, just a weird season. And you know, I, I tweeted out last night. I'm proud of the players. I thought the players played yep. hard. I thought yep, they yep. cared. I thought they represented the school really well. Um, there wasn't anything that like made me sit there and say, oh, you know, those are just inexcusable things that caused that loss. It was sort of a uh, aggregation of all the things that have aggregated. Aggr- <clears throat> aggravated fans over the last five or six years and uh you know mike white's gonna have to answer for it you can't tell you can't tell people that this late in your season your team was tired in the second half and that's why you slowed things down that's not going to go over well but uh you know hey this is a football podcast and like like i said last night as well i got over this one in about an hour i'm still i'm still hurting from the lsu shoe toss absolutely so it it just hurts it's a little bit different when it's a football loss as opposed to a basketball loss. We'll get over this one quick and uh, move on to baseball season and spring football. Yep, yep. Football, football season two, spring, spring wrapping up, Will. So plenty, plenty to discuss here. Dan Mullen spoke to the media on Saturday. Uh, did a quick episode for uh, Gators Breakdown Plus members. Just quick little 10-minute uh, episode, kind of just quick hits off of Dan Mullen's uh, press conference. But uh, speaking of Gators Breakdown Plus, Will, shout-out time. Some shout-outs for our Gators Breakdown Plus members. Uh, kind of a a, uh, a benefit of, of being one of those. You pay for the all access uh, tier membership, and you can request a, a shout out. So here we go. Unique eight six three on Twitter from Unique Productions from Lakeland, Florida. Dreadnought class of 07. Been a Gator fan ever since. Rainy and Ahmad, what's up uh, there from uh, Unique? And uh, also Bull Gator, as he's known on the message board, says he just likes the content here on Gators Breakdown and thought it was right to contribute. So thank you guys so much for being early adopters of Gators Breakdown Plus. Really good launch there uh, for what we're doing there. And uh, you out there can become a member as well. If you're not yet, get your own custom shout-out here on Gators Breakdown starting at $3 a month, of course. Uh, Not too bad there. Up to $10 a month, as I said last week, basically buying me a beer or a coffee a month. Uh, So, look, my goal, ensure you, no matter what level you choose to support, you'll get back more than you give. Members will receive full access to unique episodes that I just mentioned. Uh, did the Dan Mullen post spring press conference on Saturday? Just a quick reaction to that. The, there's a blog there, Discord server, as we uh, discussed the Gators' first round game versus Virginia Tech. Uh, it was a lot of fun there. Get giveaways, uh, ask me anything sessions, watch parties, shout outs, and more. Head to GatorsBreakdown.com, supporting cast.fm to check it out and join. Link is in the description as well. There's three tiers to choose from. And if you join now between March 29th for the next week, it's your chance to win a Florida Gators hover helmet. Everybody sees that behind me all the time. I get all kind of remarks for it, but you can see it spinning behind me uh, right now. I'm giving one of those away for people who sign up for Gators Breakdown Plus uh, up until March 29th. If you're on a YouTube version, you see it there. That's one week, and I'll choose one lucky member of Gators Breakdown Plus to win one of your own. And we'll announce it on next week's episode, so sign up today and here we go let's get started will talk spring practice spring football 
I mean, the, the, the big thing, the big takeaway, and Mullen was pretty much asked straight, uh, straight, straight away, straight about it. Emory Jones and the starting quarterback role. So, uh, you know, no, uh, no shying away from all everything that we've heard. Uh, the struggles in the scrimmages. Uh, Anthony Richardson playing pretty well, uh, providing some sort of competition for for Emory Jones. Uh, but Mullen said, "Look, he doesn't think in those terms right now. He would have to say yes that Emory Jones is a starter, but he doesn't think of it in those terms because you have to prepare at least two quarterbacks. His thought process is how they're getting two starters ready." So, of course, with all the talk of Emory's struggles, and you knew the question would be to ask, Anthony Richardson's done some nice things, but Emory Jones is going to get first crack at it. Uh, it's just you know, the way it is. Uh, Mullen's absolutely right in saying you have to have two guys prepare for that starting role. Uh, look, we can – I think a lot of people can say, well, that's coach speak, but Florida's probably one of the best, most recent examples and story of that regard. Felipe Franks goes down. In comes Kyle Trash to save the day and the year in 2019, only to use it for a launching pad uh, in 2020. Two guys were ready to lead the Gators in 2019, and, and that was an example of needing to have someone ready to go. And it looks like that's the plan uh, in action right here. Emory's taking most of the reps with the ones, but Richardson gets a lot of play there uh, as well. So, Will, for me, man, it, it's kind of about you know, the natural progression uh, for Emory Jones. Came in, came in here as Dan Mullen's first quarterback recruit in his first recruiting class. It's had some playing time in games dating back to that season. He's been around long enough to know the offense to now you know, needing to apply all that, taking the, the, the next step to spring and being the guy. Uh, and Mullen had to say, you know, he really went from being a guy that understands the offense to a guy that's making his reads and working on his technique fundamentals at the quarterback position. Uh, at the back end of spring, you watch his balance in the pocket, throwing the ball, throwing the football instead of just trying to make plays and him focusing on being balanced with his accuracy, Mullen said. Uh, but, you know, for, for the passing game to keep growing, it's on the quarterbacks, it's on the wide receivers to work together uh, this offseason. And kind of to, to wrap it up here, Will, uh, on this quarterback, you know, Mullen says, I talked to the guys today and yesterday, uh, really – it was about it, uh, about quarterbacks and receivers right now. You have April, May, June, July. You have four months where you can get out there. You get your timing down. You get that exactness down. You get comfortable with each other, where you're going to be and how you're going to make the throws. You get the communications down. Beyond the coaching where you guys have that kind of feel for how you guys are, where they're going to be on the field, I think that's a huge part for these guys moving forward. So, Will, I remember – that was a one big takeaway going back from Felipe Franks early in his tenure with Dan Mullen. And we went to SC media days and talking to Franks and talking to, to wide receiver. And it's like, man, we're, we're in there. We're working late at night. Yeah. And you're getting that rapport in the off season. So good things here uh, from Mullen and talking about Amber Jones, taking all of this knowledge that he's gained over the last few years, applying it through spring practice. And now it's up to those guys to take that next step on their own. Yeah, it was sort of an interesting insight into Mullen's psyche when he's evaluating players and, and sort of how things progress. Like, there is no competition for Del Rio and Kitna. Like, those, those guys yeah. have been relegated to backup. <laughs> and, it's, and it's either AR or Emery who's going to be the starter, and he's preparing both of those guys as though they're going to be a starter. Though, obviously, he's he's at least stating right now that Emery is going to be his guy, um, but that he's preparing them both. And it was interesting to me because I think that sort of does reflect some of the frustration that Gator Nation has sometimes with the young guys not getting in the game, but the reality of what it takes to play for Dan Mullen. 
and potentially why maybe he's not a real appealing place for a guy for a five-star committee who wants to play right off the bat because you're going to have to earn your way on the field. And to be honest, if the depth chart's pretty deep, you might not even have an opportunity to earn your way onto the field. I was a little bit surprised that he didn't say that it was like an open competition, that if one of those guys, if one of the younger guys really showed out that he was going to get an opportunity to jump in with the ones, it was, nope, these are my two starters. <laughs> once a starter, once a backup, that's it. And then I got to prepare the other two guys to make sure that if something catastrophic happens, they're ready to go. But, uh, um, so that was sort of an interesting insight into his psyche. And, you know, I, I, I wrote an article last week looking at Emory Jones and sort of some of the, the, the angst around the narrative that he's not necessarily going to throw the ball very well. And I think the reality is, is that he runs it so well that he's not going to have to be Kyle Trask next year. He probably doesn't even have to be Felipe Franks. He can probably be a little bit worse than Franks and still be a much better overall quarterback just because he's able to run the ball. So, um, yeah, you know, I, I think at the end of the day, what we've already seen from Jones on the ground is one of the reasons why he's probably got a real edge. That wasn't something they were going to be able to work on in the spring just because you don't want your quarterback getting hit. Um, but uh, but that weapon will certainly be there in the fall. But it's also why you need to be preparing like you got two starters because, you know, Jones takes a helmet in the ribs and all of a sudden can't breathe and you're going to have Richardson in there real quick. Yeah, so I, I'm glad you said that, Will. I mean, it was – uh, no, no surprise. Uh, I guess you know when you think about it. Of course, it's going to be Emory, and of course, it's going to be AR above Del Rio and Kitna. But you know, given the um, Mullins history and stuff, he's kind of been. And maybe it was just because it was early in this tenure, and he needs to kind of set a precedence. But it was, you know, not necessarily verbally given the job to Felipe Franks. It was going to be a quarterback competition, um, and a lot of the time, you know, we thought it was a. F- competition between or many thought it was a competition between Felipe Franks and Emory Jones and not one Kyle Trask and we all saw how that turned out so uh you know we'll, we'll see where it goes there but I, I kind of like you know Mullen could letting it be known out there that it, hey guys you know I told you in the locker room it's on you guys to take it from here um letting them know it out there in the media as well that it's look, it's up to these guys in these offseason months uh, to take that next step at the quarterback wide receiver position. And we'll get into it later on too. It's, uh, it's around the rest, you know, rest of the positions uh, as well. So in this final spring press conference, you know, Mullen went very surprisingly, Will, he doesn't really do this a whole lot, went position by position uh, and pretty quickly broke down where, you know, his thoughts um, position by position of where things stand for the skaters team coming out of spring practice. And he started with two position groupings and, and one pretty expected and one needed improvement. And Mullen likes what he sees so far. Mullen said he feels really good with the running backs and linebackers running backs. We expected that we we've discussed that uh, coming into spring. Now, you know, we didn't get to hear uh, or see a lot about the Marcus Bowman after the first few practices after he was, uh, or after he took a minor injury. Uh, but, you know, it was the other five-star running back that took advantage. Lorenzo Lingard coming off a really good performance in the final scrimmage on Saturday, uh, been able to hit some long runs, show that explosiveness at the position that has been lacking the last couple of seasons. If he gets to the outside, watch out. Naquan Wright had a really nice spring. Malik Davis as well. Pierce had a big run in the scrimmage on Saturday too. So Florida has a lot of bodies there, Will. The hardest thing is going to be now, of course, when we've hit this, how to find a way to get all those guys the ball. Uh, I'll continue to harp on it, you know, that it's encouraging. We're hearing about explosive runs and and, and, and that they're impressing the head coach uh, for him to come out and say it. We know the issues up front on the offensive line, but really a positive that Mullen's mentioning this group given those issues. 
Yeah, you know, the thing that sort of jumped out to me, and you know me, is the thing that jumped out to me was Naquan Wright catching punts and returning kicks. That that they have the kind of depth at running back that they feel like, even in a position where you get quite a few injuries, and even in a position where I would imagine they're going to want Naquan Wright to catch the ball quite a bit out of the backfield, that they're willing to rep a guy um, you know, doing those sorts of special team stuff tells you what they think about the depth of the position and probably tells you that they don't necessarily think that Naquan's going to be getting a ton of touches or at least, you know, that'll probably be similar to the number of touches that he got last year as opposed to building on what he did last year. And, you know, the reality is Wright only averaged 3.9 yards per rush last year. If your offensive line isn't getting a huge push, he's not really the guy you want to be handing the ball to out of the backfield. He's the guy you want to be getting out there on screen on the Kirby Smart special wheel route and and getting in the ball in special teams. So um, that, to me, is maybe the indicator when you start thinking about what's going on with the running back position. And you can say as a coach, yeah, I'm comfortable with the running backs, but the proof's in the pudding. And the fact that they've got right doing stuff on special teams makes me really do think that that they're real comfortable with who they've got there at running back. Well, do you, do you, are you, are you, and we talked about it coming in. Are, are you at all worried about too many, too many guys? I mean – Look, uh, as we, as I've already discussed here, uh, at one point, I'm going to go back and look at it and see, you know, how Mullen uses a a, a running back. Does how often does he have a workhorse running back? Going back to his head coaching days at Mississippi State, different circumstances there, of course, uh, when you probably are relying on you know, a quarterback run game and a running back run game uh, more so, especially Nick Fitzgerald in his last seasons there uh, as head coach. But uh, then we'll, we'll see. Demarcus Bowman hopefully comes back. Full, full board, ready to go in fall. But uh, there was a worry coming in, uh, and we were hoping. My, my hope in the spring was somebody, probably Demarcus Bowman, just because of his pedigree, come in, be the guy, separate from the rest of the pack. Not sure we we're going to get that in the spring, or even you really hear about it. But I think the potential was there for that to happen. But now I think we're still going into fall, where hey, we got five mouths to feed here. Yeah, I mean, so I, I think it becomes a question of what do you think spring is for? Yeah. Right? And, and and spring is to get guys touches. Spring is to figure out where they can excel. So, you know, you put Naquan right back there and see, can he even catch a punt? Because one of the first, I mean, you want a guy like Brandon James, who's always a threat to take it to the house when he gets a punt. At the same time, you need a guy who's actually going to catch the ball. And if you think back a couple of years ago where Freddie Swain was catching punts, a lot of that, there weren't a lot of big punt returns that were returned. It was just Swain was really, really reliable back there in the punt game. And Tony, in fact, when he came in for Swain, when Swain turned an ankle, I think it was 2018, um, Tony was back there and dropped a couple. And then you didn't see him anymore back there until this last year. So, you know, in part, it's who can you trust back there? Those are the types of things you're trying to figure out. You're also trying to push guys and say, okay, can you do this in the scheme? Can you do this in the scheme? Are you going to pick up the right pass protection? Can you catch out of the backfield? All those different questions. And and I don't know the answer to that, right? So Lingard may be really, really explosive when he gets to the edge, but can he catch the ball out of the backfield and can he pick up pass protection? Because if he can't, then he's not a three-down back and you're going to need guys like Damian Pierce and Naquan Wright and Malik Davis in there who know the offense maybe a little bit better than Lingard and Bowman in order to in order to do those sorts of things. And, you know, you might end up sacrificing on the explosive side because you need the reliability side. Now, I mean, I haven't seen anything. Lingard might be doing an awesome job with all those stuff and then he becomes sort of your workhouse back. But the, the other thing is, is that I think you can go back and look at Dan Mullen's history all you want, but he hasn't had running backs with this level of exactly. talent. <laughs> <laughs> and so – 
And so to say, oh, he never had he he's right. always, he always uses a back rotation. It's like, yeah, but he's never had a guy who could go for two thousand yards, right? Or a guy who could go for fifteen hundred yards. And and um, you know, these guys have that kind of potential. And I don't I don't suspect that he's gonna take the ball out of their hands. If, if they have an opportunity to do something special next year. Um, I think what will happen is some of the guys who are good rotation pieces will start getting rotated out if they've got someone who's really, really special. But again, you're not going to know that till the fall because the mm. spring the spring's just sort of where you're evaluating, hey, how quickly do they pick up the install? The fall is going to be when you start paring things down and saying, all right, these are the guys who are actually going to play. And the other thing is, is running back is a position where a lot of guys get injured, right? I mean, it's it's yeah. not uncommon to see a guy get a concussion and he's out. It's not uncommon to see a guy separate a shoulder. Um, it's not uncommon to see a guy, you know, get like a hip pointer or sprain an ankle, and all of a sudden you need somebody else to well, hop mean, in there. So Malik Davis still in the rotation, but look at his injury history. So yeah. you know, so you know, here's the reality. I mean, running back is probably the most physical position on the field when you think about just everybody sort of targeting for you when you're when you get the ball, um, and and so. Reinforcements are great, right? Competition is great. That's the thing is that no one ever asks, is it is does Alabama have too many running backs <laughs> when when Trent Richardson doesn't play till his junior year because yeah. he's got Mark Ingram in front of him? And then you know, you got Bo Scarborough doesn't play because you got Derrick Henry in front of him. Like nobody's ever like, We got too many of them. It's like that's never a problem. So I I, I refuse to say that's gonna be a problem right. for Florida. <laughs> Absolutely. So now for the other grouping Mullins started with, hearing that the linebackers are making strides should be music to Gators fans' ears here. It is a group that started off so poor last season in 2020. They did get better as the season progressed, but really needed to build on that progression. Uh, look, I think getting Shelton and, and um, Newkirk up front, uh, you know, or Valentino uh, instead of Shelton, you know, he likes to go by uh, th- that now. I think, uh, you know, it helps up front to go along with Gervin Dexter's really giving these linebackers a chance to make plays. Uh, but it's still a group that just needed to have a, a more physical mentality overall as well. Ventrell Miller doesn't take part in spring. That opens up the door for young players, Tyron Hopper, Derek Wingo, to insert themselves uh, with Mamou Diabate and Amari Bernie. So, well, from uh, all accounts, those guys did that. Uh, Hopper may have been the player of the spring. Uh, Derek Wingo was there making plays all over the field as well. So from the sound of it, it would be hard to keep those two guys off the field at this linebacker position. I think that really helps Florida depth-wise and maybe even move um, uh, Diabate and Bernie around. And if those guys are going to be on the field as linebackers, maybe that you can help move uh, Diabate to, to some more of a pass rushing uh, position in certain looks. So, and that takes me to something else Mullen said that's really noteworthy about the defense, and it's something he's hinted at before. But now you can tell something they identified, Will, uh, on the issues on defense last season. Quote, you know, Mullen was asked about the defense, said he looks at every detail of what was bad and good, thinks the defense had a really good spring, won all the scrimmages they had, uh, had a very good spring. They continued to take uh, steps and create depth. There were some negative things about the defense last year, but he looks at whether they make or whether they're making the adjustments to fix what was going wrong. Why are the statistics that way, and why and what are they doing to address those factors? Grantham is an excellent coach, and they're making adjustments to go fix it. Now, here's the part that was the big takeaway for me. They also identified the guys on defense who made a lot of plays this spring and make sure those guys are on the field in key situations next year and they're not on the sidelines next to him in a crucial situation. So I think going back and looking at a lot of the film last year, it's like, hey, why was this guy on the sideline and not on the field? And that, to me, maybe I'm overthinking it. Maybe I'm overanalyzing what Dan Mullen was saying out there. But to me, that kind of seemed to be a point of emphasis is there were playmakers this spring. 
there probably would have been playmakers last fall, but for what reason, we didn't have the right personnel in the field, whether it be all the confusion that we've talked about and not being able to get lined up and guys coming off and on the field. But it does seem like a point of emphasis to go out there and make sure the right guys are on the field. Yeah, I, I, I loathe to be Dan Mullen and, and in particular Todd Grantham if, if Tyron Hopper and Derek Wingo end up being the best linebackers <laughs> next year after everyone was yelling for them last year when the defense couldn't stop anybody. Um, I, I suspect that, uh, that that there might be a little bit of I told you so at that point. But yeah, yeah I mean, Mullen made a point to say that he's, he's, he's made a point really all spring to talk about how good of a football coach he thinks Todd Grantham is. And, and, you know, Grantham, I, I have not been someone who has thought he is terrible. I've been someone who has thought he is not a difference maker. And, you know, if you have difference making type guys on defense, then I think Grantham can have defenses that really, really excel. So when you have a guy like John Grenard on defense who can win one-on-one battles, Grantham looks pretty, pretty, pretty good. Um, when you don't have that guy like John Grenard, you don't have a guy who can get you 10 sacks, then things look a little bit pedestrian, which, which is what happened last year. I, I think the guy who really gets, I mean, I know we mention him, but the guy who gets overlooked in terms of comfort at the linebacker position is definitely Diabate. I mean, he's definitely the guy who grew into the role last year. By the time Florida played Alabama, he was the guy that I was hoping was out there on the field. He was a guy I hoped they had guarding Najee Harris. Um, you know, that didn't always turn out well, but Najee Harris is a really good player. Yeah. And Alabama's a really good out, offense. Yeah, that didn't turn out well for a lot of linebackers out there. So, <laughs> well, but, but again, like he's the guy I wanted on Harris, even if it didn't turn out well. And, you know, whenever they had Ventrell Miller on Harris, it turned out really, really poorly. Um, but again, Miller is a solid player. He's He just needs more support around him. And last year there was an awful lot of youth and an awful lot of guys who, you know, we make a big point of the, about the guys not lining up properly last year, and, and that was a big problem. But the other problem is if you're not lining up properly, then it means you don't know what your assignments are. And if you don't know what your yep. assignments are, then the guy next to you knows you don't know what your assignments are. And I think that's a lot of what the problem was last year is that the linebacker beside Miller didn't know what he was going to do. And Miller didn't know whether he had to try to cover for him, you know. And so especially early on when you saw guys really getting beat and guys running wide open and things like that, um, you know, I think a lot of that was attributable to just a lack of trust on the defensive side of the ball. So, you know, you had sent me some uh, some notes from one of the scrimmages and had talked, and it had specifically said that the defensive coaches went nuts when they didn't line up properly, and, and that's good to hear, right? That they're going to start holding people accountable, that they're going to make sure they know the scheme, that they're going to make sure that the install is done appropriately in the spring, so everybody knows what they're supposed to do when the fall comes. Like you mentioned, getting the getting the most talented guys out there on the field needs to be a priority. Um, at the same time, like just if they can line up properly and trust the guy next to him, I think the defense is going to be much, much better just because that trust clearly was missing, especially towards the end of last year. Yep. So I think pretty encouraging that we heard, you know, running backs because that was expected, but then linebackers because we know that is a position that needed to have a really good spring. And according to Dan Mullen, that group uh, really did have a a good spring. So definitely uh, a launching pad for those guys going in uh, to fall camp. So uh, before we look through the other positions, March is here and it's time for the madness and it's time for you to shoot your shot and score big on the nonstop action with my bookie. I mean, the tournament games are going on right now. Uh, first time I think we've uh, recorded a Gators Breakdown episode on a Monday night and tournament games are still happening. So <laughs> the new schedule there uh, for the NCAA tournament. But it doesn't matter if you're filling out multiple brackets, betting the national championship winner, or simply looking for player in-game props. My bookie has you covered. Sign up today at mybookie.ag and use promo code GATORS to secure a deposit bonus 
up to $1,000. That's promo code Gators to claim your first deposit bonus. College ball, NBA, NHL, doesn't matter the sport right now, no matter the minute, from tip-off to buzzer, my bookie puts you in the action, uh, in-game, live betting. Bet anything, anytime, anywhere with my bookie. All right, well, rest of the offense, uh, as we said last week, you know, I had Nick DeLatore on, and uh, Mullen came out and said uh, he singled out offensive lineman Richard Garage and Ethan White there on the left side of the offensive line. In this last press conference said, quote, I'm comfortable with some of the offensive line of where they're at uh, with some guys, but also creating uh, depth on that of solidifying who the five are and the next three are. We're still getting there in the quote. So, Look, personally here, really hoping, you know, Josh Braun will become a, a solid piece in, in his second season somewhere on the right side of the line. Uh, didn't really hear a whole lot uh, about him uh, this spring. Kingsley Aguakin was starting at center in this last scrimmage. Uh, Florida only finished a scrimmage with about 10 offensive linemen, Mullen said. Uh, Richard Garage went down at some point, was replaced with Reese at left tackle. Hopefully the injury is not serious to Garage. as He'll need to be the starter at left tackle for this Gators offensive line to have their best five on the field. Uh, but as spring ends, it sounds like a whole lot of work for the offensive line still remains, Will. Uh, it wasn't going to be a quick fix, but it would be nice to have a better feel about the starting five heading into fall. Yeah, you know, it's funny. I mean, Mullen talked about how – um, critical this time over the next four or five months is for the quarterbacks that you really see them separate themselves when it comes to when it comes to this time. But I think because the pandemic of last year sort of eliminated the Nick Savage um, workouts during the offseason last year because they had spring practice so early this year, so they kind of get an extra month of those workouts this year. Um, I really do think that the same thing sort of applies for the offensive line, right? Is that the guys who take care of their business, take care of their bodies, get get in the weight room, get stronger, um, get bigger, get quicker, and then watch film and and understand the scheme. That that's those are the guys who are going to separate themselves. And so, you know, if if, if Braun wants to play an awful lot he's got, he has the ability to control that. If Delance wants to play a lot, he's got the ability to control that. Those guys are going to be able to get in the weight room, get stronger. Um, you know, I don't know that we should have expected, I think I said this a couple of weeks ago. I don't know that we should have expected the offensive line to be that much better considering that we were not that far removed from that Oklahoma shellacking. Mm. Um, it's not as though they've had time to really actually do anything other than sort of decompress from the season but they're going to get about a week off and then they're going to get absolutely tortured by Nick Savage for the next three or four months. And the guy who comes out of the back end, a stronger guy ready to take over the fourth quarter are the guys who are going to win. So I look at it and say, yeah, I'd love to have a starting five. Certainly it does worry me that garage got hurt. Um, I, I look at it though. And I say, the reality is, is you need seven or eight guys in the sec anyway. And that, um, you know, the offensive line wasn't great last year, so you need some guys to start separating themselves. And just like we would like to see Emory Jones separate himself from everybody else in the quarterback room over the offseason, I think we'd like to say the same thing about the offensive line. Regardless of who it is, you know, he's comfortable with the left side of the line. The right side of the line needs to come along, and, and we'll see. I mean, the hope is, is that they did learn some lessons from last year in terms of not only the best players on the field on the on the defensive side of the ball, but on the offensive side of the well, particularly off, off offensive side of the ball as well, especially at the offensive line. So we'll see whether that holds. 
Well, I, I, I kind of like this Dan Mullen in the last couple of press conferences. Hey, these are the two guys I like on the left side. <laughs> this is how many I have. This is how many I feel good about. And pretty open there. And, you know, maybe sending some messages to the media uh, a bit. But I mean, I'm sure it's not. I'm sure it's nothing of a surprise for those guys. I'm sure, you know, if he's telling us in the in the media during these press conferences, I'm sure he's sharing it with these players as well. It, it's all lies. Jalen Kitten is going to start the first game of the year. Just wait. <laughs> <laughs> oh man so yeah we we i think yeah we, we feel comfortable there left side garage white uh with uh mullen mentioning but uh still gotta find some more pieces there uh along the offensive line um another kind of moving along the positions here will mullen singled out jamarcus weston uh, as a receiver that took huge steps to spring a player he i mean by name jamarcus weston uh when we're talking about the receiver position uh from what i've heard justin shorter had a nice spring as well using his physicality and size to his advantage jacob copeland expecting to lead this group had a nice spring you know and i hope what we hear about weston comes to fruition it seems the wide receiver position is mostly where players in the spring never really materialized from a lot of the spring hype it, it, that wide receiver position that for whatever reason, seem, that seems to be the position where you hear names the most that you just don't translate from spring to fall. Weston's getting to play a couple of different positions here, running some wildcat uh, this spring as well. So maybe he breaks that mold wheel of uh, what, who was it uh, back in the Michael went Dre Massey. I think we heard every spring was going to be the a breakout star and we never got it to fall. Yeah, I mean, so I think there's there's two things there. One is that Dre Massey never had Billy Gonzalez as his coach, <laughs> and, and and two, Dre Massey wasn't six three two oh five. Yeah, and, and so those are sort of the two things that Weston has going for him that Dre Massey never did, and and some of those other guys. The other thing is is that McIlwain and Nussmeyer sort of tied their their <laughs> wide receivers' hands behind their backs based on uh, running the ball in second and twelve all the time. But um, it, I I think. Florida's wide receiver core is going to be okay. Um, I think we saw some signs from Justin Shorter last year. I think we even saw some signs of quickness from Rick Wells. I think we saw some real, um, you know, so, some real potential for Xavier Henderson. But if you can have a guy like Jamarcus Weston step up and really be a deep threat, right? If you can sort of, I mean, again, I mentioned six three. If he can be a guy who can even just go get jump balls, back shoulder throws, those sorts of things, then you've got somebody who can do some of the things that Kyle Pitts could do last year. And and that's really sort of the challenge is you're going to have to replace Kyle Pitts with three or four guys. You're going to have to replace Kadarius Tony with three or four guys. Yeah. Hopefully some of the time that they got last year is going to help them with that. So, you know, Shorter had 25 catches. Whittemore had 10. Copeland even is the guy I think we sort of forget about, but he was out there a lot with 23 catches. And, you know, even Wells had 12. So, you know, there's a little bit of experience coming back. I don't know that it's necessarily, I mean, it's obviously less than we had coming back last year. I don't think it's reasonable to expect two of those guys to develop into all SEC players. But, you know, again, Weston, we've been hearing about since basically the day he was recruited, that his recruiting ranking was something like 550. But everybody who saw him said, this guy has a chance to be special. So, to hear in the spring, to hear him singling out Weston in spring practice does make me think that that there's some potential there. But again, like you said, we've heard it year after year after year. I mean, first it was Andre DeBose was going to be <laughs> was going to be off awesome, and then Ahmad Fullwood I think was one of yeah. the guys that you heard about. And you already mentioned Massey, um, and it turns out that we just wound up with Brandon Powell in the slot for like three years, and that was where every pass went. Um, I hope that's not what happens this time. But again, I, I, it's interesting. I. I 
I'm so non-concerned about the offensive side of the ball right. when it comes to a Dan Mullen team. Like last year, they scored 40 or 41 points a game. I think that's probably pushing it for this offense. Yeah. But with Felipe Franks as a starter, he averaged like 34, 35 points a game. I, I think it's incredibly reasonable to expect that's the output from the offense this year. And so the things I'm more concerned about are special teams and the defensive side of the ball and all those sorts of things, because they can still be a really good team, even with, um, you know, even if the quarterback struggles early on, even if they're sort of trying to figure out who needs to be the starter, even if they've got rotating, rotating chairs at running back and wide receiver. I think Mullen's creative enough. He's going to be able to game plan to get, get his guys, the ball in space enough that we're going to get to see what they do. And I'm, I'm actually really, this is one of the things about spring practice or not seeing spring practice that uh, it's a little bit annoying, right? So you hear about Weston, Right. You saw Weston, you would know that he's flashing. Like you'd yeah. be able to see, all right, he looks different than the guys that he's around. And like in the player, I'll put that just because before he got hurt, we got that we could put that label. Somebody like Twit Whittemore, before he got hurt, you know, before midseason last year, the first couple of games, you saw it, you saw the potential. He gets hurt and never really able to, to come back around to that. But if we had seen somebody like Weston do that this spring, then exactly I agree. We we could point to that. Sure. But I mean, again, that <laughs> because of the shortened season and really because of the way Mullen's wired, these guys have to earn their way onto the field. Like they came in and were backups, right? And a guy like Trent Woodmore earned his way onto that second team. I don't know that he's necessarily the most talented guy out there, but he was the guy who could consistently do what they needed him to do on that second team last year. Weston obviously didn't earn that same level of trust because only had one catch for 13 yards last year. Um, so the spring is an opportunity for him to earn that trust. But again, I, I don't think they're going to set anything in stone until the fall camp comes. You know, Weston may have the lead, but that doesn't mean these other guys aren't going to be able to catch up. Yeah. So we're just kind of hoping and looking for, you know, um, some guy that maybe can take the top off the defense. I think that's probably the, the big thing. You had Tony, you had Pitts that could do that. Who was the guy? Xavier Henderson's got that pedigree. That's and you mentioned Weston and Mullen mentioned him as being the fastest player on the team. So I think you're looking at Henderson and Weston being those two guys, uh, but something, of course, we did not get to see uh, in person this spring. So, Will, let's go to the other side of the ball, the part that you say you're more worried about. I think we probably all should be, uh, given, given last year, no matter how they were trending this spring. It's great to hear they were trending up, but, uh, you know, Mullen talked up the new defensive line transfers in this spring. Daquan Newkirk, Antonio Valentino, of course, you may know him know him as Antonio Shelton, but he, you know, if you if you missed that name change, he changed his name uh, right before spring ball. Uh, in his pre-spring press conference, Mullen said those guys needed to come in and, and be ready to contribute right away. And Mullen said this past press conference, those guys embraced their roles, they stepped right in and just took over from day one. Mullen uh, also said they expect Zach Carter to be where he is right now, and that Gervin Dexter took uh, steps forward this spring. I hope I'm not getting fooled here, Will. This is a group I I, I feel good about. Uh, hard to really judge all the praise because uh, I think they're they're overmatching this offensive line right now. Now uh, I also say this a lot that we don't give credit at times for doing the things you're supposed to do. So I do take it as a good sign that they're dominating at times uh, in, in this spring. Now. They need to clean up some penalties, uh, like jumping off sides. That was an issue that dated back to last season, continued into this spring. But I, I really, really like the potential here uh, of the guys of these transfers, Durbin Dexter, Zach Carter. I think you, you, these four guys can 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 
raise their play, be four guys I think you can count on, stay healthy. I think Florida's defensive line is pretty good. I just still question, you know, are New Kirk and, and, and Valentino better than Campbell and Slayton from last year? I think that's where my question lies is how much can they elevate the play defensive tackle? Because those guys were good last year. Don't get me wrong, but Florida needs to Florida needs better play there, not just good play. Florida needs better play there. Yeah, well, this is why people get excited about Desmond Watson, right? Is that he has yeah. the he has the potential to be a difference maker, particularly after an offseason with Nick Savage. You look at Gravon Dexter, if he's really sort of able to parlay his freshman season and all the learning that he was able to do into a successful sophomore year where he gets stronger and then is able to sort of use his instincts a little bit more. I mean, that's really where the difference is going to come from. I think you think about Newkirk and Valentino and you say, okay. These guys are going to be solid, but I wouldn't count on them being true difference makers. So then the question is, where does the difference maker has to come from? Well, then it has to come from Cox. It has to come from Dexter. Or it has to come from uh, from Jeremiah Moon or, or Chris Bogle. Those, those are where the difference makers are going to have to be. Now, you know, two years ago, I would have said it's a problem that the defensive tackles are coming in and that they're sort of displacing everybody who was there in the rotation. The, the difference is this year there isn't anybody in the rotation. Like yeah. they needed these defensive tackles, um, you know, like like nobody's business, just in terms of like bodies. And so the fact that they're in there and that they've sort of that they're getting major snaps really shouldn't be a surprise. There just weren't a whole lot of options for Florida, which again sort of goes back to the question that, that we always have in the spring game, which is, hey, those guys are showing up and being leaders up front, but are they dominating because the offensive line's struggling or are they dominating because they're actually dominating? And we, we just won't know that until week one. Yeah, that's the scary thing there of all the negative. Uh, you know, we just talked about the offensive line and Mullen really only singling out two guys uh, there and – Yes, you would expect the defensive line to, to take advantage uh, of an offensive line uh, that you hear that you hear that about, at least from the head coach uh, as well. So uh, let's just start here with the quote secondary uh, from Dan Mullen. Secondary, I feel good. We got to get the depth, he said. I think we I think we'll feel good with putting four to five guys out there on the field, but you want to get to six, seven, eight in a hurry. I think we feel comfortable with a couple of those guys, but we need a bunch of those guys to really grow moving forward. Well, I mean, really, you just got to look at the depth chart here. I mean, Trey Dean, one of the most experienced players out there. Kyrie Elam, the most proven. Jason Marshall, Donovan McMillan seem to be the freshman early enrollees that turned heads the most, made the biggest impacts in those roles this spring. But in order for this secondary to get back to form and what we expect, players like Jadon Hill, Travez Johnson, Kamar Will Coxon, Rashad Torrance, Mordecai McDaniel, Finley Graham, Jahiri Rogers. It's those core second, third-year players that played sparingly or not at all that need to step up. And from the sounds of it, you know, Mullen's still waiting on a few of those guys to, to, to do so. Yeah, I mean, that's a little bit worrisome, obviously, because the secondary was such a concern last year. And, you, and you know, I made the joke earlier about Wingo and Hopper being on the field and, and showing out and and people be looking, saying, see, I told you so. Well, maybe it's the opposite way in the secondary <laughs> where, you know, depending upon who's back there, you're going to be like, oh, that's what we that's what we had back there. That's what that's why Marco kept playing. So, yeah, maybe, uh, maybe Trey Dean's probably the only guy you could throw in that category of fans who, you know, like player fans wanted to see more. But everybody else, they played a good, they, you know, like Jadon Hill and stuff. You, you, you hope he takes the next step. 
Yeah, I mean, you do. I think Jadon Hill put a lot of good stuff on tape last yeah. year. I think when you look at him, even one-on-one coverage, like the play, the games against Texas A&M, I had an article where I went over every third-down conversion, and most of those third-down conversions were wide open for Kellen Mond. The only ones that weren't were really when, when Jadon Hill was guarding his guy one-on-one, and then they just sort of hit some slants that you look at and say, okay, we'll live with that. And the reality is, is that you're going to get beat as a corner sometimes. I don't recall – Times where I thought Jadon Hill didn't know what he was supposed to do. I thought he was disciplined, at least in terms of knowing the scheme and knowing what he's supposed to do. But I don't think he's a difference maker, which really sort of goes to the um, goes to the way this defense gets that much better, or at least gets that much better in the secondary, which is that Jason Marshall steps in day one. I mean, if Marshall can step in day one, if Marshall can be the guy opposite Kyrie Elam to where all of a sudden you're looking there and saying, hey, we can move Hill into the slot because we've got these two guys on the outside who are just locked down corners, then the defense looks a lot better because you can have that five, six, seven guys you rotate in amongst the the nickel, the star, the two safeties, and sort of you know mix and match and bring people in based on their strengths and weaknesses if you've got two locked down corners. And, you know, Florida's had that a lot in the past decade. You know, you had Tease Tabor and Quincy Wilson for a mm-hmm. while, you know, and you can just sort of name off all the guys at corner who have been locked down. And certainly – under Muschamp, there were just ridiculous amounts of guys in the secondary. They all they all are still playing in the NFL. But, uh, you know, it's been a while since we've had guys who have really of that pedigree. And Marshall is one of those guys who's that pedigree. So, you know, I, I think we can say all those guys last year, I'd love to see him step up. I'd love to see him get more playing time. Obviously, they're going to because of all the guys who left. But Marshall is the guy. I mean, that's that's how you take a huge step forward is your five-star recruit, the guy you bring in, the guy you say, hey, we think this guy can start day one, actually starts day one. If we start day one and we don't have Marshall out there, then I think it means that there's going to be some growing pains for the defensive backfield starting, you know, at least very early on in the season. Well, well, I mean, the thing about it is, you know what you have in Kyrie. He's going to be the number one. Teams are going to target whoever that number two is. When the season starts, they're going to figure out, all right, can that guy live up? To the because there, there's no sense in throwing at Kyrie Elam right now until we figure out that 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 second guy, that second cornerback. We got to figure out if he's going to be up to you know the the, the history of uh, of Gators and, and DBU. Um, so that second DB spot, I think, will be tested early and often. You know, the opponents, your first two opponents, may not be able to take full advantage of that. But you best believe Alabama's first drive of the game, whether it be Jaden Hill, whether it be Jason Marshall. Yeah, I mean, they'll throw at Kyrie Elam, too. They're they just their style of offense. But I guarantee you, if they're going to look for their first big play, it might be on whoever that second cornerback is. Sure. I mean, uh, you're obviously going to target people when you get the opportunity, which is actually what happened when Kyrie Elam came in and C.J. Henderson was on the other side, yeah. right? I mean, when they brought in – and that's one of the reasons I think why Elam didn't start until like the fifth or sixth game that year, or at least start getting major snaps until the fifth or sixth game that year is because they wanted to make sure he was ready for that. Um, the other guy that we haven't really mentioned, but I know we've mentioned before, is Donovan McMillan. So yeah. he'd, got, he'd gotten an awful lot of pub really at the safety position um, in terms of knowing what he's supposed to do, being a smart player back there and – you know, one of the things that, um, you know, busted coverages, getting guys lined up properly, all that sort of stuff, a lot of that falls on the safety, taking proper angles, things like that. I mean, if the corners are going to, if the corners are going to play up, they're going to get beat sometimes. If they get beat sometimes, you need the safety to come up and make the stop. And Florida safeties were not always capable of doing that last year. So if, if McMillan or some of those younger guys that you already mentioned can step up at safety, then that's that's really where again I think the defensive backfield is going to be better. I just 
it, it all sort of hinges on Marshall in my mind is that you need that guy who can be a lockdown corner on the other side, which gives you freedom to do a lot of stuff other places and makes the quarterback hold onto the ball an extra tick so that your defensive line can get that can get home. I just want to, we just, we just got to see better communication. I mean, <laughs> that, you know, it starts there. That was the biggest thing for me coming into the secondary uh, the, the, this spring. Hopefully that was the, the case. It, you know, that had to be, um, a point of emphasis. We, we heard it early. It had to be, uh, but it's just one of those things where, yeah, we worked on it. Yeah, we did it. It's still one of those things. I think as much as it burned Florida last year, you're not going to believe it till you see it. And like, that's just the thing. That, that's just the nature of spring. We said that a couple of times, a lot of things you hear, you're still going to have to see in real game situations, but you know, you know, they worked on it. So if there's a problem next year, then, I mean, you can only, you can point your finger at the coaching staff last year. With all the experience I thought Florida had coming back on defense, but if it's if it's an issue again, I mean, yeah, it's even more of an indictment to the coaching staff for me. It, it'll make those memes having Grantham and Mike White having their faces merged together even more meaningful for all for all the Florida fans. But you know, here's the reality: is I, I think that last year, because of the lack of spring and because of seniority and because of the way they sort of run things, guys like Marco Wilson, Donovan Steiner. Um, you know, and all the all the other guys in the secondary really did get a much longer leash than they would have certainly within the Alabama program and some other places out there. Um, you know, whether you want to blame that on COVID, whether you want to blame it on the coaches, you know, that's up to you. But this year, there isn't anybody entrenched at any of those spots. And mm. so I do expect that they're going to be able to pull guys in and out as they make mistakes. And as you hold people accountable for things, those mistakes are supposed to go down, right? That um, the problem last year was, is that their, their fourth year seniors weren't able to line up correctly. How could you expect a true freshman to <laughs> when you sent him out there? And so, um, you know, that shouldn't be an issue this year, right? Is that they should have the ability to yank somebody off if they don't know what they're supposed to do, if they haven't studied for that week, if they don't know what their assignment is, or if they don't trust their teammates. And that'll be where the proof is in the pudding. Not necessarily if they don't have a guy who can't line up, but that when the guy doesn't line up, he's not out there for the next like two or three series until he finally figures out that I need to learn how to line up. And we saw this in 2018. It was interesting when, when, uh, when, Mullen first took over one of the things with Jordan Scarlett, he wasn't playing a lot early on. And the reason he wasn't playing a lot early on is he was really, he had really struggled in pass protection, you know, really the the previous two years. Well, one of those years he was out because of the credit card stuff, but he had struggled in pass protection and was struggling again early in the year. And it wasn't until maybe the Tennessee game that you saw Scarlett really start to pick it up, knowing where he was supposed to be in pass protection. And that was when he really started to take off a little bit as a running back because they could actually have him on the field. And so, again, I think with a full offseason, a full opportunity to get these guys in there, that uh, that, that Mullen is going to have a better way of holding people accountable. And that's what you hope for on the defensive side of the ball is that Grantham and Mullen will both be able to hold these guys accountable. So, you know, if, if Hopper jumps out of a gap, Wingo's going to be in there. If Wingo gets a personal foul, Hopper's going to be in there, and you have the opportunity to mix and match and, and bring guys in there, get the best matchups, but also get the guys who are most consistent out there on the field. Well, we'll wrap it up here, and uh, these players uh, and kind of the message we started with, with Dan Mullen, what he had to say. But for now, the spring is over. It's all for these guys to now be accountable, personally accountable uh, for themselves, for their teammates. And look, a quote, he said, it's so specific with each person, but it's understanding where you're at and what you need to do and how you need to learn to develop. 
because we're not around them all the time. There's so much personal development going on, but if you don't know how to do it, if you're not in there watching film and you don't know how to watch the film and what you're specifically looking for, you're not really developing. Are you able to watch film and realize when you made a mistake and how to correct that mistake? Do you know what to see or am I just kind of watching just to watch it? It's so critical for each individual to learn how to develop where they're at in their career, what are the big things they need to work on. And well, I think for me, that's where leadership comes in. We, I think we said many times last year, where was the leadership on this team, especially on the defensive side of the ball offense. You could see it. You had Kyle Trask leading that side, Kyle Pitts, Kadarius, Tony, uh, you know, Mullins babies on that offensive side. There's plenty of leadership on that offensive side, but where, where was the leadership on leadership on defense? And I think, uh, you know, it needs to come in uh, this spring needs to come in after spring. The veterans have to get with these young guys and show them the ropes here. And and then the personal accountability uh, takes over uh, another quote from Mullen. He goes, mean, I mean, you had, you've got a guy that's going into a fifth year senior. So, I mean, you take like Zach Carter what he's working on might be different than what Gervin Dexter's working on, Mullen said. Uh, even though there are some similarities and they're working on the same things, they're also working on some different things. Maybe I've got to work on some of the specifics and I'm working on some more general things that Zach already has kind of mastered. That's just an example. Uh, I think like, uh, veterans can really help push forward, help these young guys in that aspect. So, you know, somebody like Zach Carter needs to get with Gervin Dexter. These transfers need to get with Gervin Dexter, show him the, you know, how, how to watch film, you know, the, everything, especially for guys who were freshmen last year, it was so fast paced. Uh, and and that, that was a, a difference in a, in a COVID year compared to a normal year. It was so fast paced. They probably had to skip over some things just to get ready for a season. Well, now you started spring practice early. You have a lot more time for these players to get together. And I think it's really a lot of leadership here, especially on the defensive side, for these younger guys to get with these veterans. And like Mullen says, how to watch film and how to personally grow uh, within the program, especially now you got basically an extra three weeks above everybody else in the country. Yeah, you know, I mean, it's interesting when you talk about leadership. I mean, you know, you look at the – at who left after last year. I mean, you got TJ Slayton who leaves class 2017 class. Zach Carter comes back. We got Brad Stewart leaving, Marco Wilson leaving. You've got um, Sean Davis leaving, Kadarius Tony leaving. Malik Davis is back, but obviously, um, you know, obviously just because of injuries, you got Kyrie Campbell leaving, Ventrell Miller's back, but Donovan Steiner leaving. So you look at the 2017 class and a lot of those guys who provided leadership are no longer there. And then you look at the 2018 class and you got guys like Jacob Copeland, Richard Garage, Emory Jones, Amari Bernie trading, Damian Pierce, Andrew Chatfield. Like those are the guys then who need to provide the leadership. And to be honest, those are the guys who first bought into Mullen and what he was selling, right? Those are the guys from that 2018 class. And that's where I think you need to see the leadership come from. It's one of the things I know that when Mullen came to Florida in 2018, people were surprised that Felipe Franks held on to the job. But one of the reasons I think Franks was able to win the starting job is because of the trust he built with his teammates going through those hard times with uh, going through those hard times, with Jim McElwain in 2017. Hope the same thing happens now, right? As those guys who went through a really hard season on the defensive side of the ball, guys like Bernie, guys like Dean are going to be able to step up because they've gone through those hard times. But they're also, um, you know, they sort of come through the fire on the other side and they're going to be leaders because of it. And that's the deal. I mean, you know, you always need your leadership to come from the guys who are upperclassmen. And, and while 
not all of these guys have gotten a ton of play thus far. They've been in the system for an extended period of time. And that's where I think you hope the leadership comes from. So again, when you talk about learning film, when you talk about being out there and getting your timing down, I mean, the really telling thing, there was a story last year about halfway through the year where ESPN was talking about Kyle Pitts and Kyle Trask back before they were starting out there throwing the ball day after day after day after day, building up timing, and, and you see what it turns into, right? I mean, they're both special players, but it turns into two guys who are top 10 in the Heisman Trophy voting. And you know, so what I hope to see is I hope to see guys like Emory Jones and Jacob Copeland out there throwing when they don't have to be, right? Building up their timing, doing that stuff, being the leaders, and getting guys like Jamarcus West and Trent Winnemore and some of those other wide receivers out there and be through the fact that they're actually out there and putting in the work. So, you know, we'll see. I mean, Mullen is going to see those guys. He's going to see um, who puts stuff in during the offseason. And, and I'm sure when the fall comes around, we'll have a much better idea who he's been impressed with over the last four or five months. Um, it's it's a long time until until August yeah. and September, though, buddy. This, this early spring game is going to make it tough for all of us football fans who, uh, you know, there's normally this is getting done about the you know mid to end of april but now we got a whole another month to, yeah to just usually, pontificate about next year yeah we're late march right now we're usually on about the second week of spring practice so it's already <laughs> wrapped up for us uh and usually uh, we actually get to see it at least a little bit and that's the other thing is you know we 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 take Mullen at his word in terms of what he's saying, but at the end of the day, um, he's not going to necessarily trash somebody who's playing poorly, especially if there's no real tape of it um, yeah. for, for the media to have. And so maybe he's using the media to send some messages. Um, at the same time, there are probably guys who've been pretty bad we haven't seen, and there are probably guys who've been really good that he decided not to call out because he doesn't yeah. want it to go to their heads. And you know, we just won't know that until, until fall practice comes around and we start seeing the depth charts. Yeah, that's the thing is um, that 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 spring that 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 is spring and uh, that's that's the COVID spring that we uh, just didn't get. I know a lot of fans out there are mad because <laughs> the SEC announces, "Hey, here's our spring football schedule." No Kentucky, no Florida having spring games, and uh, Gator fans were uh, none too happy uh, of, uh, about that. So we get some kind of two-hour special that was announced. Uh, I think it's supposed to be on the SEC network. Uh, we don't know what it is, but probably just going to be a bunch of highlights. Uh, uh, from uh, from spring practice, so hopefully a lot of you know, look, Florida's going to control the message. This is a two-hour special, basically that Florida is putting together. I'm pretty sure. So if what they, they we're only going to see what Florida wants us to see, will so uh, we'll we'll see how much we can actually take away from that. Yeah, you know, I mean, I was watching, I was flipping through channels this weekend and saw the Missouri spring game. It was a little yeah. bit depressed, I got to admit. So I'm sitting there going, really, Missouri can have one of these and we can't? Like, how, how did that happen? But then I remembered nobody goes to the stands for a Missouri game anyway, so, you know, it doesn't really matter. They would actually have to deal with the logistics at Florida fans showing up. They didn't have to deal with that at Missouri, but uh, – you know, I mean, it's depressing. Like, you'd love to have a spring game. You'd love to be able to see the team. That's the thing is that the spring game was so much of a familial thing. Yeah. Um, you know, I took my son there a couple of years ago, and he he yeah. was too young at the time to take him to a real game. He would have he would have wanted to leave at halftime, and I would have wanted to wring his neck when he wanted to leave at halftime <laughs> for a real game. The spring game, no big deal, right? He gets to enjoy the gets to enjoy the tailgate, gets to enjoy sort of the atmosphere, but uh, gets to see some of the players, and and then and then we go home when he gets a little bit too hot. And so it's sort of a cool way of introducing people to the game who maybe aren't quite ready for it yet. Um, and, and introducing people to the game who aren't quite ready for the experience that the swamp is as well. But, uh, um, 
you so know, this year it was for a lot of people who didn't get to go to a regular season game because of limited capacity. And that was supposed to be the first chance that everybody got back together. Yeah. Uh, but yeah. Well, they- I don't know that they, they've already reduced the amount of social distancing required at yep. baseball games and, and volleyball games and, and softball games. And so, the hope is, is that I mean, you know, Alabama's planning for a full stadium yeah. come come August and come September, and hopefully, and Scott, the, Scott Strickland retweeted it and said, you know, he's hearing good things on, on on that front as well. So, so everybody go get vaccinated so we can all get our butts in the stands and uh, <laughs> and have a grand old time because I want to be able to get on a plane and get down there and and have fun with ninety thousand of my favorite people uh, when when Alabama comes to town. Absolutely, I think we're all waiting for it. Uh, there, got that itch, got that itch, which bring. Uh, the, the these past four weeks. So, well, it's been been fun talking spring football. Like I said, we didn't get the game, but uh, at least we did get to, at least we did get to talk some football, and we'll probably probably went more in depth with press conferences more than we should have. But that's really all we had to go on. <laughs> uh, you know, it's funny the the recruiting is fun because it's hope. Spring practice is fun because it's hope, right? I mean, there nobody lost a game. There's, you know, if somebody made a mistake, it, it doesn't cost us anything, like all that sort of stuff, right? As opposed to, you know, if if, if there's a fumble or a shoe toss or something like that during the regular season, it, it, it costs you a game and, and really sort of drives the narrative that, uh, that, that you hear all off season long. And we came into this season sort of with a, or coming to this off season with a sour taste in our mouths from the, from the way the season ended up. And so, you know, we were sort of looking for something that, that uh, makes us believe that this team is going to be better than last year, or that we can see a progression towards a championship team. And, and I think there, are, I think there's some signs, right? I mean, we saw some stuff with, with Jones, we saw some stuff with AR, um, you know, certainly the running backs, I think what we're hearing there gives us some hope that we're going to have an offense that can be as explosive as last year, maybe in a little bit different way, but, but, but close to as explosive as last year. And, you know, that's the deal is the spring's all about hope. And, uh, you know, I, I am, I, based on the limited stuff that we've heard, I think that some of the news that's coming out of there is good. I think some of it's bad and that's what we're going to see in the spring as well. Right. Some of it's going to be good. Some of it's going to be bad. I don't think there's going to be a perfect team by any stretch of the imagination, but that's also, you know, the, the, one of the fun things is when your team overachieves, when you know, it's not perfect, that sort of makes, that makes the season fun. So, uh, you know, we're going to talk about all the imperfections coming up in the in the fall and, you know, we'll see them and break them down. But at the end of the day, it's uh, it's sort of the imperfections that make it fun and the hope that makes it fun. So that's part of spring. And, you know, now we get a couple of months off where we just get to sit here and sort of, you know, pound the table until finally football season's around again. <laughs> yep. Yep. We'll have to get creative in that couple months here. on <laughs> Gators breakdown. Uh, trying to, trying to, we'll be trying to guest it up uh, pretty heavy uh, these next couple months uh, as we uh, get ready for the season. So that's Will Miles. You can find him on Twitter at Will Miles SCC and a site read and reaction. Will anything uh, coming up on the site this week? Yeah, we got a couple of things coming up. Um, I had, like I said, I had a uh, an Emory yeah. Jones breakdown, so yeah. go check that out if you haven't had a chance yet. Really and then, uh, and then I'm going to be breaking down some Anthony Richardson tape as well um, over the next week. So, um, you know, if nothing, if nothing else, there's no better way to drive numbers than to start a quarterback controversy <laughs> for no reason other than you got nothing else to talk about. So, uh, look at some of his high school stats, understand what we might be getting and what we're not getting when it comes to AR and, and, uh, you know, how he, how he sort of stacks up to, to Emory, at least when it comes to the high school stats. 
Awesome. Awesome. Will Miles, you can find him on Twitter. Will Miles, S-E-C, and the site readandreaction.com. That'll do it for this episode of Gators Breakdown. I'm your host, David Waters. You can find me on Twitter at GatorDave underscore S-E-C. Guys and girls out there, thanks for listening to this episode of Gators Breakdown. Gators Breakdown.